Educators tend to be lifelong learners. That's why we became teachers, continually honing and improving our practice and looking for ways to better serve and support our students. Today's episode is all about our community of practice as educators. And we're so excited about our sponsor, New Minds. New Minds was established in 2013 by two teachers of gifted and talented students. Their goal is to empower schools and teachers to awaken inspired education through training, curriculum, and programs like camps and special events. They believe that real inspired learning is driven by curiosity, passion, choice, and the power of narrative. To that end, NewMind provides over 200 courses and programs created using their patented bamboo curriculum model. They've trained over 5,000 teachers in the U.S., Middle East, and South America through innovative practices, divergent thought, critical thinking, and a growth mindset. So polish up your practice and get inspired. You can connect to New Minds at edcuration.com. That's N-U-M-I-N-D-S. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. It's a funny journey because I grew up around educators. My mom was a teacher and going into her classroom was like this magical experience that I thought I wanted to recreate until I got to high school, college, and I insisted I was not going to do that. I was not going to be a teacher. And here I am. That's Natalie Irons. Not only did she become a teacher, she's now the Associate Director of the Instructional Coaching Programs at UCLA Center X and has served on the National Board of Certified Teachers since 1999. Natalie is a teacher of teachers, and this past year during shutdowns and the quarantines, she and her colleague Jenna Camp co-founded the Leadership Resource Network and the Leadership Resource Institute as a way of supporting educational leaders across the country and world as those leaders face the crises and challenges brought to their doorstep by the year we all want to forget. You'll hear about all of that in a minute after we get to know Natalie and Jenna. I think it was the just experience I had at my credential program that told me this was my calling. And in my 12th or 13th year, as a secondary English teacher, I found a, an advertisement through UCLA Center X Writing Project, which I had just recently gone through through the Summer Institute. They were looking for literacy coaches. I've been with UCLA Center X as a coach of some kind since 2002. Natalie's co-founder in the Leadership Resource Network and Institute is her colleague, Jenna Camp. Jenna is an instructional and cognitive coach. 
She provides professional learning workshops and webinars and other content, including the Think or Thwim podcast and Quick Tips video series. She does all of this while teaching full-time at a Los Angeles charter school that she co-founded in 2015. Are you getting the idea that these ladies are innovators and also that they might have superpowers? I am still and have been a classroom teacher for over 20 years. Also inspired by my wonderful mother, who was a champion of education. She actually, it occurred to me just recently, she started the first preschool I ever went to was a preschool that she founded. It was called the Romper Room. I've worked in large, comprehensive, traditional public high schools. I've worked in four charter schools. I've founded two of them, two charter schools. I'm in the currently working in the second charter school. and. That's really my jam. I really enjoy small schools where I know that you can really get to know every scholar and they don't get lost so easily. That sense of relationship is also something that I've really come to really feel passionate about in terms of working with teachers. I've been a mentor. There used to be a program for beginning teachers in California called BITSA, the Beginning Teacher Support Program. So I was a BITSA mentor and was a literacy coach and did some peer coaching training. And finally, we started on a, on a coaching program at, at our school. And that's when a few years ago, I went to Natalie's Cognitive Coaching Training. And that was just so superior to anything else I found. It really was a transformative experience. And so now to be working with Natalie is a dream come true. I need to briefly echo what Jenna just said. I went through a cognitive coaching course several years ago. It was eight days spread out over six months, and it changed not only my practice as an educator and instructional coach, but really all of my relationships. At first, my children were wary and they'd say, Mom, stop it. You're creeping me out whenever I would mirror them or paraphrase. But then they got used to it and it enhanced communication and connection in ways that I would have to do a whole episode to describe. I think if people practiced paraphrasing alone, we might actually achieve world peace. Anyway, Jenna has worked with Natalie to provide this kind of invaluable training for educators while also teaching full time. But then 2020 happened and necessity is the mother of invention. Here's Natalie. We've had to kind of reimagine what professional development looks like. And it's kind of the bridge that Jenna hinted at. We met each other many years ago and over the pandemic reconnected through this coach chat on Fridays. And then through that... We would both say that we heard some similar themes in the in the coach chat around the value that coaches were finding in this space, this weekly space, that leaders were not possibly getting the same kind of opportunity to essentially be heard, mm-hmm. focus on their practice. And that was kind of the birth of the leadership resource network. Our thinking was to see the interest out there for leaders and develop a leadership resource institute, which is a little more in-depth on content. 
I wanted to know more about what prompted Jenna to found two schools other than her entrepreneurial spirit and maybe that running list that all educators have in the back of their heads of what they would do if they created their own school. Or maybe that's just me, but apparently not because Jenna has it too. I wondered if it was that similar sense of something's missing that led to the founding of the Leadership Resource Network. The first school was founded, I co-founded that in 2003. Uh, It's it's a a project-based learning school, interdisciplinary project-based learning school in the arts community of Pomona, California. We worked on grade level teams of six teachers and we co-developed the projects each semester. So they were interdisciplinary semester long projects that were standards based and we worked all, you know, they were worked throughout the entire curriculum. That in and of itself was a coaching slash mentoring experience. And I realized I didn't that was fairly early on in my career. And I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have any coaching training at that point. So I started to get interested in more professional development and coaching at that point. And it was really more like some peer coaching and some mentoring. I enjoy being able to work with other teachers and really honing the craft. And I love talking about I guess I'm a real geek nerd that way, as I just love talking about teaching and talking about what we do, because it's such a complex set of decisions, minute by minute in the classroom, as both of you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, how complex and nuanced teaching is. So I love talking about it. So in terms of the leadership resource network and their the leadership resource institute that really came from this coaches chat that natalie started about a year ago at the beginning of the pandemic i jumped at the chance and it has just blossomed into this wonderful community of coaches and teachers and we've just become friends who deeply care for each other we know administrators are feeling the brunt of. They carry so much responsibility and weight in terms of taking care of their scholars and taking care of their teachers and taking care of the entire school community and doing so on this very rapidly moving train that no one knows where it was going. It was No one had any of these answers during the pandemic. So we started to think that what we wanted to do was provide some space for leaders, for school leaders, to have the kind of community that Natalie had created with the coaches chat. And that sense, that need is really what fueled the Leadership Resource Institute. The coaches chat that started out, Natalie, I'm just curious, was that a structured thing? Or was it really just, hey, everybody, let's get online and talk about what we need and What's happening in everybody's different schools? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this over the year. So much so I was compelled to write about it because it's been so impactful. It really started with Jethro Jones, who I follow on social media. He put out in an email, free opportunity for a coach session, like one week into the pandemic. And I just finished, in fact, on 
March 13th was my last cognitive coaching day eight seminar. And I think that with knowing that I was going to be at home online for who knows how long, I jumped on his offer. He asked me this impactful question, Natalie, what's in your heart? I was so moved by this stranger, more or less, to make this offer, this in the vein of servant leadership, I had to pay it forward. And I didn't know what it was exactly going to look like, but I knew I was going to open up a space for people to feel that little bit of what I felt that he offered me. I'm wondering too, because now educators, the, the pandemic you said has been somewhat of an opportunity and, and now educators from all over the country can participate in and take advantage of what you have created. Do you have educators from all over the country participating? When Natalie and I were ready to actually offer the Leadership Resource Network, we advertised it through the UCLA site and went to social media. And we got interest not only from people around the country, but we got interest from people around the world, from Italy, from India, from Bangladesh, from the UK, from Germany, and from all over the states. The one thing that Zoom can't handle is still the time difference. You know, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. still very difficult to meet at four p.m. Magic. Pacific when you're when you're around the world. So that remains the the issue. But yeah, there's there was a lot of desire to join a community, and I think that it really helped us feel confident that. That that need that we thought we had seen was was there, and that we could offer a space for leaders who don't always get a chance to connect and to network and to have a supportive, safe space mm-hmm. where they can discuss leadership mm-hmm. and the stresses of that and the decisions and the challenges, as well as the joy and the reward of that and to help that space be a place where they can hone their practice and learn and be lifelong learners and reflective decision makers. And those educators just all found you from social media. Through social media, for sure. Yeah, that's amazing and wonderful. So I'm curious if you can give us a picture of what happens in some of those sessions. It goes a little bit Back to your earlier question about you know how did this ha- how did this come about drawing from this example of the coach chat and having just recently a small group coaching cohort reinforce that there are some structures that allow people to feel a sense of psychological safety first you create a little bit of semi-structure with some acknowledgements and agreements and check in that everybody's okay with those agreements. Clarify the intention of the space. Have a small inclusion activity that people can do online quickly that allow people to kind of warm up to the space. 
And then the heart of it was Jenna and I being real deep listeners, using our coaching skills to navigate the conversation throughout the hour or so. And then find a way to capture those things that were shared to allow people to have a sense of closure and not feel like they may be left hanging if something has been shared that maybe is a little vulnerable, more vulnerable than anticipated as as people are talking, they're sharing more. So that became kind of the arc of the, the hour. And if I can add to that as well, the idea we've been talking back and forth about is the balance between structure and some natural organic conversation. And we know how important that natural organic conversation is, but sometimes, especially with a group of people, A, in a virtual space, and B, who don't already know each other, you can't just expect you know, deep conversation to to happen. So we want to be able to provide some structure so that people feel safe. The idea is to provide people with some connection that humanizes them again, that allows them to feel authentic and whole humans in this space. I feel like that is something that has taken a lot of intentionality and some work to figure out how to create in our virtual separation. So Jenna, I'm curious, who are the educators who are showing up? Are they site level leaders? Are they district level leaders? Are they TOSAs, instructional coaches? Are they teachers? Or is it all of that? It's mostly leaders and some with coaching experience, some with some cognitive coaching experience but mostly leaders, heads of school, principals, assistant principals, or vice principals, whatever their language is. I want to transition us into getting a little bit more granular with your work around coaching. I know that participants and, and our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about the components of a successful coaching model. What does that actually look like? So when you are working with districts, whether it be virtual or prior to the pandemic, when you were working face-to-face, how did you help schools and teachers build that capacity around really strong coaching model? That's kind of the customizable part of our work at CenterX is that we don't come in with a set program. We value and believe that... If we want teachers, educators in the classrooms, ultimately, if we want students to be self-directed, we want to provide that support for the teachers to model that self-directedness and sense of resourcefulness. And that begs the question of what, what's in place in the system for those structures. I'm working with a leader right now who's very clear about the structures that they believe will support their coaches that support teachers that support students in a new reading initiative, for example. Mm -hmm. Then I think the next piece is really looking at what kind of skill level the coaches have that we hire or that might be part of the school system already. Are they proficient in pausing, paraphrasing, and posing questions, for example? And then I think I would say a third big area of 
addressing for success is listen for a coach's sense of the distinction between telling people what to do or or kind of having an agenda of where they want people to go versus are they truly listening below the surface for mental models, values, and beliefs to build internal resourcefulness? Does it start with the assumption that the school has coaches? Because I think California is probably a little ahead of the curve, maybe with some of some other parts of the country where coaching isn't a foregone conclusion, right? Do you work with groups of educators or leaders where there's still a resistance to coaching? Because you started by saying that we have to start with thinking about what is the the approach or the view of coaching in this school is, is kind of step one. Yeah. We are operating from the same definition of what a coach is and what a coach does, I think is a that big overarching question. And and while attending to that, the heartier question about reluctance is, yeah, of course, I think any any place, any system, even the ones that I've worked in a district for a few years and supporting their coach model that is clear as their processes are and outcomes and expectations, there's still going to be a little reticence on some level because we're asking people to to think deeply mm-hmm. about why they do what they do, where their beliefs and values are drawn from to behave in make decisions in the classroom the way they do. And that can always give an opportunity for a little resistance and that's okay. Coaching is a great way to help teachers be reflective about their own practice, inspire new strategies and help teachers feel supported. Our sponsor today shares that mission and they accomplish it by providing interactive training and workshops to awaken learning for both teachers and their students. This is Ben Cook, co-founder at New Minds Enrichment, the home of real inspired learning. Back in 2013, my co-founder and I left the traditional classroom to participate in what we call the Edvolution. That's the revolution of education. We believe that learning is most effective and powerful when it involves natural curiosity, passion, and choice. We create systems and programs to partner with schools and districts to bring this kind of real inspired learning to the classroom and beyond, including curriculum, teacher training, and enrichment programming. Reach out today to learn more about New Minds Enrichment and how to bring real inspired learning to your school or district. Looking for a great way to get re-inspired for the coming school year? Connect to New Minds at edcuration.com. They've got what you need. You don't need to go it alone. Teaching has traditionally been this very isolated profession where... I don't, you know, nobody comes in my classroom and watches me. Nobody really knows what I'm doing in there. And I, I think I was in the, you know, I've been in the class, I was in the classroom for a long time and I saw this transition toward coaching. And I saw a lot of the resistance because this idea was that if I'm being asked to receive coaching, it indicates that I need help or that I'm doing something wrong or that my practice is weak rather than this strengths-based approach, which is everybody who is at the top of their game 
all of the most advanced achievers in almost any field have a coach. Michael Phelps has a coach. Itzhak Perlman has a coach, right? Like people who are the highest achievers, they still have a coach because it's the way they stay that way. But for some reason in the teaching profession, it seemed like a deficit. It seemed like almost like a punishment. How have you addressed it with teachers that you've worked with? Well, I have been in small schools for most of my teaching career. And a small school that is not a that's not supported by a giant district has a lot of different kind of budgetary decisions to make. And quite typically, an instructional coach, a dedicated coach or coaches is not part of that budget. So certainly that the need for coaching is there. And new teachers, first and second year teachers are so used to having a mentor or a coach with them in the classroom. But by your third or fourth year, you should know this. And yeah, very much the perception is that if we need or want a coach, it's because there's a deficit. It's because we need fixing. And that is a hurdle to overcome. Now, in one school that I'm working at, we wanted to create an instructional coaching program. Again, it becomes very much a budgetary kind of issue. One year when I was instructional coaching, I supported 10 teachers, you know, and I was out of the classroom for three fifths and in the classroom two fifths. And, And so I was supporting those 10 teachers and I had 20 or 30 meetings a week. And that's both formal and informal. But that's a difficult thing for a small school to support. So we actually moved from that model to a peer coaching model where we wanted to be able to provide a coach for every teacher and every support staff. So we're talking office personnel, office staff, as well as resource specialists and our our ELD support staff and our administrators. So we went to the idea that everyone is coaching and it's now a peer coaching model. That does require a lot of training because not everybody knows what coaching is. Not everybody knows how to develop those, Natalie mentioned, those three critical skills of pausing, posing questions and paraphrasing. And those are such powerful tools and they do need a lot of practice. So there are lots of different kinds of coaching models out there, but it definitely requires that the administrative team values coaching and will create the structures within the school, the systemic structures to support space and time for coaching. It seems like the peer modeling wouldn't necessarily be the ultimate goal, maybe that hand in hand with some other practices, but it's a sustaining goal, right? Because it's that level of self-directedness and independence that you talked about, Natalie. I mean, once you create a peer coaching culture, then it just becomes, this is the way we do things in this school or this district. We cope, we share our practice, we co-create. We advise each other. We share our space as instructors becomes part of the culture. And that just seems like a beautiful shift. Do you see that happening? Yeah, 
such the ideal. And, and yeah, there are glimpses. I think that as Jenna was talking about her work with her school sites in that movement towards creating a new culture, that I just need to say that our mantra at UCLA, I'm so fortunate that this is just something we've been saying to each other to clarify what we do and what we don't do is we don't fix teachers. We don't fix people. We provide opportunities to do just what you're describing is creating that new culture that we're, we're learning and we're all learning together. I love that. Do you have a favorite success story? Jenna kind of shared a little bit of the success around the shifts and the work that she's done at, at her school. But do you have a favorite success story from a school or district that you've worked with? Well, it's this recent one. There was a coach who popped in a few times to the coach chat many, many months ago. And she surfaced in this small group coaching something she had heard from the coach chat months ago. And she said, this has held me through for a big part of this pandemic. And that is that when somebody in the coach chat, another coach said, I'm enough. I have to keep reminding myself that I'm enough. And then she went on to explain how how important it was to have a space where she felt like she could be her authentic self. That's beautiful. Can you just on a sort of more academic level, Jenna, I'm wondering if you would offer a clarification for our listeners. When we're talking about instructional coaching, you talked about bits of training and coaching, and we're talking about cognitive coaching. Those are not all exactly the same thing. Would you give us an idea of what are the differentiators between instructional coaching and cognitive coaching? Yeah, I'm glad that you're asking that. And I think Natalie made that point earlier that coaching can mean a lot of different things, right? It's a, it's an umbrella type of term. I actually find Michael Bungay Stanier wrote the, the coaching habit and the advice trap. And he separates coaching into two categories, coaching for performance and coaching for development. And I think of instructional coaching as coaching for performance. So while both are important and have a positive impact on the teacher or on the leader being coached, but they are different tools. They're for different purposes. So instructional coaching is more like coaching for performance. It addresses a specific area of challenge or a specific need that the teacher brings or the leader brings to the coaching relationship. It's a precise focus on a specific skill or behavior or attitude in need of improvement. Like it's surgery. It's a little more like surgery, right? The surgeon pinpoints and identifies the issue and goes precisely into solve that. Cognitive coaching, on the other hand, is more like coaching for development. It's as I see, as I understand cognitive coaching, and I am not the expert here, certainly not. I'm still learning from Natalie every minute of every day. But cognitive coaching is more concerned with creating self-directed teachers and leaders. So the role of a cognitive coach would be more like a medical doctor, right? Where it's a surgeon addresses a specific critical issue, a medical doctor considers the whole person studies the whole body system and the symptoms, looks at all these interconnected challenges and needs to improve the holistic health of the patient so that she can learn to maintain her own health. How do we 
elevate and build the capacity within the person to become a self-directed reflective decision maker. Thank you. I think that's such an important distinction that not everyone understands. And I love your analogy of surgeon versus general practitioner. That's super helpful. So I am wondering, as we transition out of the pandemic, which we're still in the process of doing, things are not just going to go back. It's not going to be a return to whatever normal was. It's just going to be a continuation of forward movement. And we don't know yet exactly what that's going to look like. But what have been your your main takeaways that you think our listeners could really benefit from hearing? I boil it down to three little words for me. Talking transforms thinking. It's not a new concept. It's not revolutionary. But it is so transformative. For me, specifically, I've been so blessed this year to be able to engage with a community of educators through meaningful dialogue about educational practices. I have learned and I have grown so much. And that's what coaching is all about. It's about and that's what teaching is. And the more I develop my coaching habit, the more I develop my coaching skills, the more I realize that's really the teacher I want to be. I'd rather be a coacher than a teacher. Mm. Talking transforms thinking. I want to engage with my scholars. Yeah. Thank you. What about you, Natalie? Yeah, I'm channeling Bridget, who came to many coach chats this year. And she wrote in the coach chat, more recently, people who feel empowered empower others. Those who feel powerless power over others. So which one am I doing at any given time is my question of the year. If this episode has left you hungry for community support and inspiration, we've got you covered. Natalie and Jenna are launching the Leadership Resource Institute on August 17th, 2021. And it will take place for six Tuesday afternoons through August and September. It's open to all school leaders, primarily administrators at every level, coaches, TOSAs, department heads, public, private, and charters, all grade bands. You can find the registration link in the episode notes, along with all of Natalie and Jenna's other resources and contact links. But don't wait. The first session starts next week. And if you're wanting some inspiring professional learning but can't make a weekly commitment, you'll want to reach out to today's sponsor, New Minds. Michael Simpson, head of the Greenville Lower School in Addison, Texas, said, Our team has come a long way this year, and what New Minds provided has improved our teaching. At my year-end teacher meetings this year, many of them mentioned things they implemented that they learned from New Minds, as well as goals they set about supporting our most talented students. Thank you to New Minds founders, Ben and Justin. You are both amazing. You can find New Minds at edcuration.com, along with a wide array of professional learning resources of our own and all variety of instructional resources to help you reshape learning in your classroom, school, or district. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week on the Ed Curation Podcast. <laughs>